This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Forever. My name is Alex Berg, and welcome to the LGBTQ Nation podcast. LGBTQ Nation is the world's leader in LGBTQ news and commentary. And every week we focus on major topics affecting the queer community and speak with the nation's brightest thinkers, journalists, activists, politicians, and more. I want to be real with our listeners right now. Between the daily onslaught of anti-trans bills and racist police brutality in the news, it can sometimes feel pretty hopeless to keep fighting for the things we believe. Some days it feels like this constant swim upstream and there's just obstacle after obstacle after obstacle. When I start to feel this way, I try to remind myself that the whole reason why I got into covering stories about LGBTQ people is because I believe that change is possible. And I try to think about the personal ways that I've seen people evolve, even my own parents, as a reminder that we are playing a long game to keep going and that we are going to get there. On today's show, I'll be chatting with Juwan Holmes, an associate editor at LGBTQ Nation, to help make sense of some headlines. But first, on the topic I mentioned. Joining me now for a conversation about our experiences with family and acceptance is Congressman Andre Carson, a Democrat representing Indiana's 7th District, and Bill Browning, the editor-in-chief of LGBTQ Nation. Welcome to you both. Hello, hello, hello. Thanks, Alex. Like I said, I mean, we are in a hell of a news cycle this week. Uh, Everything's fine. That's just what I tell myself when it feels like everything is absolutely out of control. Um, How are you both doing? Making it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it is. It is one hell of a time in American politics. We're at a crossroads, you know, post one of the worst presidencies in America's recorded history. We have a much more friendlier administration. We have uh, an administration who I think would be would consider itself to be an ally to the community. But but that doesn't mean that we fall asleep. I think that there are issues that still have to be brought to the forefront. Alex, you said it very, very brilliantly about everyone is growing. Our parents are growing. Our loved ones are growing. A lot of it is generational. A lot of it is societal and cultural. Unfortunately, some of it is religious in many ways. So This growth requires a deep level of grace and understanding. But with this growth, it may require some accountability, but it's also going to require some understanding in terms of each individual's bandwidth and what that may look like. You know, though, Congressman, I've known you for for a long time and and your your grandmother for a long time before. Yes, sir. And I, I think one of the most interesting things about your family is that it never actually seems like you needed to go through that change through, <laughs> through any of your family. Your yeah. grandma was one of congressmen, for, for anyone who doesn't know, Congresswoman Julia Carson represented Indianapolis to the best of her abilities and the best of her constituents. One thing I will say quickly about, about Julia is the I heart Julia signs that were just yard signs <laughs> like campaign signs, but they never came down in Indianapolis for years. Everyone wow. just kept I heart Julia because everyone loved her. And she yeah. was truly one of the very first champions in Congress for the LGBTQ community. And you really just followed right in her footsteps with that without just not even 
pausing for a second. You just knew. It means a lot. Thank you. I, I miss her a lot. You know, I, but she exposed me to a lot very early. I mean, obviously I have some relatives and it's, it's you know, they're their story to tell. But, you know, I can recall in the 80s, mid 80s, there was someone who stayed with us who's trans. Uh, he lived with us. His name was Freddie. We were told that Freddie had cancer, but, you know, now it was the beginning of, you know, AIDS, right? So people were confused. I remember Freddie stayed in our home. I had to leave out of my bedroom and go to another bedroom so he could stay there. And he had high heels lined up in his room. Freddie was gregarious. He was nice. He was electric. And he had the, he had a, you know, cheeky sense of humor. My grandmother faced a lot of critiques for having him there. But I remember I got frustrated with Freddie because now all of a sudden Freddie's there, but all this animosity is descending on our home. And I'm like, yo, Freddie, we were doing all right before you came. Dude, what's going on? I remember I got upset with Freddie. And Freddie being older than me was very understanding. I was frustrated. I slammed the door and I ended up apologizing because I'm a kid. I just know, Freddie, I don't know what you're doing, dude, but all of this hatred is coming on this house. This is the Uh, 80s. It was real in the 80s. You know, it was real in the 80s. In Indiana. In Indiana. Oh, man, in Indiana. And and, and Freddie, you know, he, he was so gracious and he would buy me candy and stuff. And But Freddie passed away. He moved out a few months later. He passed away. That experience stayed with me. It was a defining moment. I grew up in crack era in the middle of the hood. And I can remember having neighbors, I'm speaking very broadly, having neighbors who were trans and who would tell me, because I was, I had this Freddie experience. I came from a very open home, you know, understanding home. And once my friend's siblings were cool with me, they would tell me the so-called hardest person in the hood like, whatever, Dre, if you only knew. I'm like, what, dude? <laughs> Just dude? the stuff he said that comes out of his mouth? Like, <laughs> the community? Him? Didn't I tell you? Okay, yeah, whatever. You know, I'm like, what? Oh, blew my mind. It blew my mind. I have found, and I'm sure this is not absolute, that the people who go the hardest against the community, I later discover, not all people, but the numbers are disproportionate. I'm like, I don't understand the connection there. Some of them mm-hmm. happen to, ha- you know, have really use religious language, the worst offenders, by the way. And then mm-hmm. others are just this animosity. And then you later discover, and I'm like, what in the world? You know, I- I'm kind of talking here, but yeah. No, I feel like we're oh. all nodding along because we all know, okay. you know? Oh, okay, okay, got it, got, yeah. it, got, it, got it, got it, got it. I don't understand. But, you know, let's let's give it to this for, for the folks from, from Indiana. Like we sure at least back in Indiana, some of the religious right leaders there, you just kind of know they're going to fall under that that banner of someday mm. the truth will come out. But it's always been really interesting to me on, you know, Indiana does have the idea that they really want to be impartial and we're very level headed, despite Mike Pence and his nonstop war on the community and, and a lot of bad news lately. But I remember when, right before you ran for Congress, you took the seat from Patrice Abdullah, wasn't it? For mm-hmm. the Indianapolis yeah. City Council. Yep. And 
when they tapped me to lead the effort for Indianapolis's human rights ordinance to get it passed. Speaking as a side note, I'm not sure if you know how much your grandmama helped me with that to be able to get yes, that human rights you. ordinance passed. She, she caught some she flat took, from folks in the clergy. Man. <laughs> mm, I loved it, though. She called all the Democratic politicians together and gave That's them true. all hell and told them to get on the bus or there wouldn't be a seat for them on the next time it went around. I remember that. I remember. Yeah. yeah. Were you were you there? I wasn't allowed to go. And I was there and I went to some churches with her and there were some pastors who uh, they were not subliminal about, about their, <laughs> their mm. attacks against her. They were they were pretty raw, but but anyway. But thank you for your your leadership, brother Bill. Well, Patrice was Muslim, just just like you mm -hmm. are, right? And he had he had originally voted against the human rights ordinance when it failed, mm -hmm. and then I spent a lot of time with him, and as we you know worked for that second ordinance, and he was the deciding vote when he voted in favor of it. Sometimes I think some of the examples that I have seen most of change have come from people who originally mm. opposed it just on religious grounds, but have sure. slowly, slowly seen people like you and, and your grandmama and Jawan and Alex and, and I mm -hmm. slowly just as people. And mm -hmm. that's how the, the change has, has really come. Oh, yeah. thank you. That That's a big statement. I, I remember Patrice. I, I don't see him as much. Uh, I spoke to him maybe a year ago, but that's a big statement for you to win over Patrice. Uh, it shows how advocacy is so important. I have a question. May I ask a question? Yeah, please do. I heard a conversation from folks in the community years ago about outing people. And there were two different discussions happening. Uh, and, and some in the community were saying how these folks should be outed because they're people who in the straight community who have feelings too. But others were saying, you know, it's not for other people to out people because you don't know where they're coming from, their perspective, their pressures. Is that is that fair? Help me out because you, I hear about my, you know, rumors about colleagues. But I mean, rumors are rumor. But not to put anyone on blast, you know, we 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 love folks. But should there be a consideration when outing folks? Is it someone's job to do that, or if the person is going against the community, or if the person's living a lie, if they're married? I don't know. I personally feel like if somebody is being a hypocrite and they're actively working against LGBTQ mm, people and they're okay. especially in a position of privilege, then in those cases, and I think about like, and Bill, I imagine that you could speak to this, the journalism in the 90s that was outing people mm. and was so crucial to where we are today. So I feel like it's interesting too, because right now I think there's kind of this generational conversation where I think millennials and Gen Zers feel like in the instance of LGBTQ celebrities, it's very nuanced. It's a very nuanced conversation now. Okay. Um, I think it especially differs if you're like a gay cis person or a trans person who, for safety reasons, et cetera, you can't be mm. out safely. But I feel like okay. definitely, I feel like the one consistent thing is like, if you're a hypocrite who's working against LGBTQ people, mm -hmm. you should be outed. Bill, I would love to hear, yeah, hear your thoughts about it. <laughs> yeah, I, I think that pretty much seems to be the gold standard there of do you have power and you're actively working against the LGBTQ community? All's fair I, with the site and as, as long as, as I've been doing this. You know, back in the day when blogging first started, it was much more activist-based as versus the news that, that we do now. And one of the things we did in Indiana was... Uh, I think it was actually one of my first big nationwide scandals that, that hit and actually launched me into the blogging 
world was calling for tell me your dirty secrets in indiana for the state legislators so tell me all the legislators that are like you know having sex with the aid tell me about the you know scandals tell me which ones are actually having sex with guys and sponsoring the marriage Mm. amendment and they did and the readers did I went on Abdul's show so for it's a local it was a local radio show for conservative politics at the time Andre will know but the calls from conservatives and progressives just flooded in wow. because the one thing nobody likes is a hypocrite yeah and That's like right. we yeah. we staved off that damned marriage amendment for years based on mm-hmm. some of that information on just go ahead and vote for it well, I have to say one thing I appreciate is that you can just casually throw out there just my first national scandal. Just my first one, you know? I didn't think of it that way, but yeah. <laughs> but one thing I loved, Congressman, that you were mentioning earlier was, you know, what you were saying about even your own evolution on mm-hmm. meeting a trans person, growing up with them, having your own attitudes about them, you know, even not even you using the word transgender at the time in the 1980s. Mm-hmm. I mean, things have changed mm-hmm. so much, you know, no we have so much more access to education, it it reminded me so much of other people in my life who have also mm-hmm. gone through that change just by meeting LGBTQ people and also having it hit home for them. Mm-hmm. It actually really mm-hmm. reminded me of my mom. Um, I identify mm-hmm. as bi myself. And when mm-hmm. I first came out, it was like we were at war. Like, I remember she didn't wow. want to talk to me. She was so put off by the fact that I was oh. bi. And at the time, I think it was actually from a place of fear where, okay. you know, she was worried that you know, if I wanted to marry a woman, now I am married to a woman, um, mm-hmm. that I would be able to get married, that the world would be just such an unsafe place for me. And then she had all of these terrible attitudes about bi people mm-hmm. and just about gay people in general that she was always very, she's like a not in my backyard person. Like she's cool oh, to man. like march at the pride parade for someone else. But if it was wow. me, that was like a whole other thing. Fast forward, like, I think it's been probably almost 10 years now. My mom was the secretary of the Philly P flag. She literally what? marches, marches in pride parades without me, which <laughs> will send me photos of herself first mm-hmm. in line marching at the Philly pride parade. What? And I'm like, okay, a little rude that I wasn't invited to this parade. But it just so, it. just what, what you were saying, it just so speaks to how amazing a transformation people can have. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you brought up those words, I think, grace and understanding. And for her, like, it was definitely a journey. It was not easy. It was Mm -hmm. brutal when she cut me off for months, but she evolved. It took time and Mm -hmm. she put in the work and now she like really, she's, she's constantly educating herself. So I just thought that was like really beautiful. And I think sometimes it can be just very hard in our like Twitter dominated spheres, not to have an incredible knee jerk reaction when people are in that journey for themselves. But I feel like in these, in these times, I just, I always try to think about like, damn, she really changed. And that is possible. I love that story about your mom, Alex. I lost my mom in 2011, as well as my grandmother in 08. And I miss, I miss them. You know, they were such a pillar and and to be able to do that with your mom means so much. May I ask another question, Alex? Yeah, please do. I I love that you're making my job so easy over here. Like ask all the questions. Please do. I'm with my friends. I'm with my friends. (laughs) So you you mentioned being married. I'm divorced now, but I'm an adoptive parent. What do you say to those those hardliners who are are against same-sex adoptions or adoptions, period, as it relates to the LGBTQ plus community? I would say... Think of the children. You know, me and my wife have such a loving home. And I feel like in order to be 
so actively engaged like in LGBTQ issues and in our community mm-hmm. and in just within each other's lives and just overcome the barriers that you have as an LGBTQ couple. I feel like okay. you're able to be so intentional about the kind of home that you want to create. And I just think there's mm. something so sad to me about denying kids. We're talking about children who sure. don't have another place to go and denying mm-hmm. them resources and support because you have these biases and this hatred towards mm-hmm. LGBTQ people. Plus, mm-hmm. there's data on this. We know that kids who have same-sex parents and especially mothers are faring mm-hmm. better in so many ways. So I would just mm-hmm. remind them, first of all, you know, I would say my my emotional appeal to them. And then I would just say there's actually data that shows that these kids, uh, adopted kids in les- by lesbian couples are doing mm-hmm. extraordinarily well. I love it. And it seems like they've almost at this point given up the whole scientific reasons. I mean, the science is just really overwhelming. And in in so many cases, actually, the the kids of same-sex parents are doing doing better, which really kind of flopped for them. Mm -hmm. So I think it's kind of going back to the the religious objections. And well, I don't know any place that it says that a child should suffer and not be loved for someone's religion. That just, pardon the French, but that seems pretty fucked up. Yeah, like, I don't think any religious person is ever going to buy that as an argument on, yeah, you're right. God said not to let a child have love. Good point. Well, Congressman, I know that you have a very busy day, so we do have oh, to start man. to wind down. I know, <laughs> I know. I, I would love to just keep this conversation going. Um, but I guess I want to hear from both you guys. What advice would you have to somebody who's trying to change their family's mind about LGBTQ issues? What is a good conversation starter how do you think somebody can even be a supportive family member? Congressman, you want to take that first? That's a great question. You know, I'd, I'd have to say, I think the most important tip in being an ally is, is, is trying to have some kind of understanding. You know, listen, listening to what people in the community have to say, uh, let them lead the discussion. You know, I, I don't think anyone wants their identity and their struggle to be co-opted by someone else. And, you know, that, that's something I've sought to do with my friends, families, and, and neighbors who are LGBTQ+. Uh, I have a great relationship with the local community, as, as, as Bill mentioned. I, I still do my best to understand the community's concerns and be a better advocate in D.C. and in India. And that's been a priority uh, for me from day one. I, I'm honored to have been a founding member of the LGBTQ Equality Caucus in 08. But, you know, I've learned from the example that my grandmother set. She was a strong supporter of the community. And uh, she was great friends, as was I, with uh, Chairman Barney Frank. But I think for me, it's about, you know, trying to see myself in the equation, even though I can't completely, I don't want to act like I understand everything. But as someone who is of color, who's black, who's Muslim, I have double the, the suspicions, double the assumptions. But I know what it's like to be discriminated against. I know what it's like for people to make assumptions about who you are as a person. You know what it's like to have people make assumptions about your competence or your ability to perform a duty or your ability to interact in various environments. And I think that if you can put yourself in someone else's shoes, I think that's a that, that's a perfect start, but I don't think it's absolute. But I think try to, trying to come from a lens of objectivity and understanding is always helpful, in, in my opinion. Bill, can you give us our final thought to wrap up this conversation? I think one of the best things that you can ever do is, you know, it, it used to, it's like the, the coming out and modeling what a queer person is, just the mm-hmm. same way that the congressman is modeling what an ally is. And 
children mimic what they see. And sometimes we really never grow up because as adults, we do the same thing. You know, mm-hmm. we, we mimic what we see on TV and we mimic our friends and we mimic our family and we want to fit in and we want to so make that something that you want people to fit into, make the world you want to see. And just like Julia Carson did for the congressman of modeling that behavior and just like your your mom, Alex, that has modeled how to actually show mm-hmm. grace and understanding and changing. Mm-hmm. That's what we got to do. We just got to model it and be the change. I love that. I think that's the perfect note to end this on. Thank you both uh, so much for joining. Congressman, where can people find you online? Uh, Carson.house.gov, uh, AndreCarson.com. Bill, how about you? I'm Belerico on Twitter, or of course, on the website. Excellent. Thank you both. <laughs> Let's get into it. Welcome, Juwan. Hi, Alex, and hi, everyone listening. Thank you for having me again. I'm delighted to talk to you, especially about these stories, because they make me feel kind of fiery. I want to talk about a story about how anti-LGBTQ protesters tried to get the Brevard County School District to remove protections for LGBTQ people and failed. Give us like a little backstory behind what was going on here and how did it backfire? Well, sure. So the Brevard County school district, which is near, um, you know, that county is basically near, if not in the metro Orlando area. Hmm. The school board, it's their elected positions, but it's not a nonpartisan, you know, it's a basic school board, which mostly they, you know, they set guidelines and meet every month to go over policy and stuff. So typically basic things, but they've had a LGBTQ affirming policy or, you know, a guideline of LGBTQ affirming policies in place for years from how I understand it. This policy has been there for a while. And so I believe sometime last year, they, you know, they sent out a reminding document reaffirming them in the change to the Biden administration and the change to the policies in the Department of Education that Biden was going to set forward as opposed to Donald Trump and the education secretary at the time, um, Betsy DeVos. So, you know, in typical outrage fashion, just the reaffirming of these policies bought anti-LGBTQ and religious right people out to basically, you know, say like, we shouldn't have these policies in Brevard County. So there was a meeting last month just essentially talking about the policy, I guess, to clear it up for everyone. And, you know, the first protest, which the protest, which was last month, brought out the whole crowd of, you know, God created. um, Even I'm looking at when you look at the photos of the protest, God created Adam and Eve, the whole anti-marriage equality, the whole anti-trans, the entire, you know, the entire ilk of anti-LGBTQ people for whatever reason. And so one of the lead protesters at our lead voices against the policy was a former school board member who lost her election at the end of last year. To uh, and so the newest member of the school board was one of the most uh, one of the most pro LGBTQ board members at this meeting. They wore a mask that had the that was in the color of the rainbow. After that, these anti LGBTQ people targeted on her, and so what they did was they organized a demonstration. They're calling it a protest and. I guess, you know, I guess they can call it that, but 
Um, really, it was just this mob that showed up at her private home. Jeez. A month after the exactly, I think exactly a month to the day the last the the protest at the meeting was held. And I guess thankfully she was not home. And so one of the neighbors that the Florida Today um, newspaper reported might have been mistaken for Jennifer Jenkins' husband. The board member's name is Jennifer Jenkins. According to this neighbor, um, he was told by one of the um, demonstrators that the crowd had a surprise for her and her family. And so I don't know what, you know, I don't really know how to, in, in my opinion, take that as any other way as a threat because, mm-hmm. you know, you don't show up to anyone's home when you're not, <laughs> if, especially if you're not a friend of the, yeah. the family and say so you have a surprise. But, um, you know, that's what the neighbor reported they said. And then they also um, promised to come back the next day, even though, again, Jennifer Jenkins and her family was not were not home. And I th- think the main thing to highlight is that even her neighbors and even some of the people that were at this um, protest last, the month before were just found this entire display abhorrent. Demonstrators outside her home yelled at one of the cars um, that passed by and claimed they're part of the LGBTQ agenda. You know, it, it was really this entire display of just anti-LGBTQ um, rhetoric and behavior. That's just so terrifying that it was someone's home that people are going and just doing this at somebody's house. But then, you know, the end result was that it didn't work, right? It backfired because these protections were codified, right? Yes. Not only that, after that happened, and again, the board member that lost her seat to Jennifer Jenkins even came out and even contacted one of the people organizing these supposed protests and told them to stop. And so after that, Jenkins and her supporters organized at her home to prepare a counter-protest because, again, they had promised to come back the next day. And so they placed LGBTQ affirming messages all around her home in chalk and on her driveway and in her sidewalk um, to sort of counter the display of, you know, as you could say, hate and the display of anti-LGBTQ behavior and rhetoric with loving and affirming behavior. Well, I mean, it is uh, quite a back and forth over all of these people. I am so glad that it ended up working out okay and that she and her family are safe because it's just so off the rails that people can just show up to your house like that just to escalate the situation. But another story that I'm kind of obsessed with that you wrote about is how Tom Daly says he's done with Harry Potter. He, of course, is the really famous diver. He's had it with J.K. Rowling and her transphobia. And it just feels like every time we see a big celebrity step up to disavow J.K. Rowling, it seems like it's just getting harder and harder to separate her from her transphobic statements and work. I know for me, it's like she keeps on doubling down And I really respect a lot of the LGBTQ and trans in particular content creators who feel like, you know, Harry Potter is now they're making their own spinoffs and art and podcasts about it. They feel like it's theirs. It has transcended her uh, as a creator and it's its own world now. But at the same time, it also just feels like the more she doubles down, the harder it gets. So what's going on with Tom Daly? Do you think we've gotten to a point like, are we at a tipping point where it's getting harder to separate her from her work. What's your take on that? Tom Daly is one of the more well-known um, Harry Potter fans. He even had, you know, there's a scar that he has that he, like, that was referred to as a Harry Potter mm-hmm. scar. 
um, and his favorite book um, he talked about on TV on and radio about his favorite book being a Harry Potter book. And he, he basically said in his interview with the Sunday Times, I did always love J.K. Rowling's books, but it did leave a bit of a, you know, and he couldn't finish a sentence. And the article basically said it sounded like he was going to say bad taste. And so for Daily, this is a little different for every other celebrity. You know, other, you know, a lot of the stories have been about mm. celebrities that worked on Harry Potter. And yeah, J.K. Rowling has actually defended Daily in yeah. the past from anti-gay people that have made comments about him or at least in at least in one instance she did that we know of so for him it was sort of hard for him to you know speak out against someone that has literally defended him at you know but he he can't he he couldn't stand behind any of the things that she said and i think that says it all i think this summarizes the point in two and on two fronts is that first is that the entire individualized culture that we have is really in the celebrity culture that we have is really broken to this point. The sort of like idolization of her and we see how that backfired in the case of where now when she's presenting all these anti-trans arguments and standing in a hard line against them, everyone is either for her or against her. And it's sort of like this, and we, as we saw last year, this giant discourse about can we disallow these comments or, you know, in this sort of giant discourse that was like never ending where each celebrity that had any association with Harry Potter had to come out either with her or against her and lost in all of this is the trans people, the actual human beings that she's talking about that, you know, they didn't choose how all of this is happening. They didn't choose to be the brunt of other people's Mm anti-trans beliefs Mm. and it's just again also part of the cancel culture that just like really all this talk about cancel culture that's now reached a point that politicians are talking about it and all of that started from issues like jk rowling expressing their anti-trans beliefs and that being turned into a religious right obsession with them wanting the freedom or them wanting to continue to push the anti-trans rhetoric. Which is also, you know, the cancel culture stuff is fascinating because who has been canceled, actually? Like, maybe one person has really been... J.K. Rowling, as much flack she's getting on Twitter, she is still sitting on her gazillions of dollars doing just fine. You know, they're still... She's still making money off of everything. So it's also like, I feel like, you know, the whole idea of cancel culture is now being weaponized by politicians and people on the right when, like, this is not actually something... That happens. Like we see these people still get to remain in power all too often just when they're facing criticism. You know, it's it's a different thing. And I always just, you know, the, the thing that I always wonder is, damn, J.K. Rowling just could have said nothing at all. So yep. I could keep on talking about this. I hopefully will get to revisit it in the future, but we will leave it there for now. Thank you so much for joining me, Juwan. Where can our listeners find you? I am at Juwan the Curator on all platforms and also additionally at Juwan the Writer on Twitter. And I'll be at LGBTQ Nation five days a week, including the weekend. Awesome. Thank you so much, Juwan. Each week after we talk about the news, I like to leave you with a story that's bringing me joy. I am obligated to bring your attention to this weekend's episode of Saturday Night Live due to the sheer queer content of the show. There was a sketch about lesbian period dramas, which was a play on Ammonite or any other movie about sad women pining for each other. And the performer Kid Cudi donned a dress, 
But the top moment belonged to Bowen Yang's portrayal of the iceberg that sunk the Titanic. In honor of the anniversary of the ship sinking, the iceberg gave a hilarious interview. Well, everyone's talking about me. No one's talking about the water. <laughs> what did the autopsy say? They iceberged? No. They drowned, bitch. That's not me. That's water. You truly have to go watch to see the outfit and full interview. It was a hilarious take on a celebrity apology tour and just the thing I needed to see this week. Please make sure to support the LGBTQ Nation podcast. Subscribe, rate, and review our show right now on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Five stars, please. And check out LGBTQ Nation every day at www.lgbtqnation.com. LGBTQ Nation has been a joint production between Forever Dog and Q Digital. LGBTQ Nation is hosted by Alex Berg, produced by Andrew McGuire, engineered by Katrina Henning, music by Gabe Lopez, executive produced by Joe Cilio, Scott Gatz, John Halbach, Bill Browning, and Melissa D. Monts. Forever. Dog. <laughs>